Let me invite you to go to Acts chapter 1 this evening, Acts chapter 1. So benchmarks of discipleship, trusting, belonging, growing, serving, right? We've covered all those, and then we're two-thirds of the way through sharing, which the first uh, element of that was generosity, the second, hospitality, which we looked at last week. And then tonight, I want to use the word testimony, that we're active and committed to sharing our testimony. And I'd like to take a few moments and anchor that here in the book of Acts and then just get us think a little bit about the application of that. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, because this is Jesus teaching his disciples just before his departure. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And the word witness there uh, is uh, to to bear testimony to something, right? It's it's actually um, the, the kind of word that would reflect a witness being called to the stand to offer their testimony, right? They're, they're actually uh, supplying some word of evidence or declaration of, of truth about something, right? And, and I think it's important for us to understand it because uh, we have tended to take the word testimony and, and almost treat it a little bit more like a testimonial. You know, I bought this product and it worked for me kind of a thing. And we're, we're offering ourselves up as the evidence. But the primary focus of it throughout the book of Acts is it's actually about Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished, not primarily about the experience of the witness. You understand the difference? It'd be like if you, if you uh, saw a car accident. And then you were called to be a witness in the trial. You would be testifying about what you saw, right? You would be making statements about that. It wouldn't be about your experience of that event. It would actually be about the facts of that event. And that's really what Jesus is saying here. And and that's confirmed by how it immediately starts to show up in the rest of the book. And I'm not going to take a time to look at all of these, but just to, to give you an example of what we mean by that. All right, go down to verse 22 in chapter 1, and you can see what this is, right? Um, they're, they're choosing a replacement for, for Judas, and, and the qualification, starting 21, Therefore, it is necessary that, that of the men who have accompanied us, accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay, so there the witness isn't, they need to see the resurrection, right? Because the resurrection has always happened. They need to become a testifier, a witness to the reality of the resurrection, because they were with us from the baptism of John until Jesus went back to heaven. So that would include the cross and the resurrection. And now they're going to be offering their testimony to it. They're going to be a witness of the things 
that, that they have seen and heard. Look at chapter 2 and verse 32. Chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Right? So we've seen the resurrected Christ, and now we're giving you our testimony of that. Look at chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses, right? And so it goes on throughout the book of Acts like that, that testimony is about Jesus Christ. It's about what he did and what he accomplished and they were bearing witness to it. But there's an interesting development as, as it unfolds in the book of Acts. And so look at chapter 5 and verses 30 through 32. It's, it's not a surprising development based on what 1.8 said. After you receive the power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be witnesses. Notice now how this thought is developed in chapter 5. Start in, in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. Okay, we've already seen that part, but notice now the last part. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. All right, so now alongside of their witness is a statement about the Spirit's work in this witnessing. That, that um, I don't have time to unpack, but that's part of what Jesus said in John chapter 14 through 16, that after he leaves, the Spirit will come and the Spirit will testify of me. Right? So, so the Spirit's ministry is going to be to testify of the person and work of Christ. And, um, and, and we shouldn't, we, sh- we should see, not see those as separate, but actually occurring together. Right? That when the witness for Christ gives a testimony about Christ, it will only be effective as the Spirit is bearing testimony to that. The Spirit actually opens the eyes of understanding. He confirms the truth of that message. Right? And, and so there's a reality that happens that the Spirit is involved in this process, which means that witnessing for Christ isn't restricted to just those who saw the resurrection, right? But also to those who have come to believe in the resurrection through their testimony and through the testimony of the word of God. Because the, the, the basis for testifying starts to, to, to become solidified in the not just the eyewitnesses of those things, but the scriptural testimony about these things. All right, look at Acts chapter 18 and verse 5 to have an example of that. Acts 
So Paul's out on the missionary journey. You can see in verse 5 that he's joined by his missionary teammates, Silas and Timothy. It says, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And, And so he was giving himself completely to the task of proclaiming Christ, what that would look like, go back into chapter 17 and verse 2, because this is this was Paul's custom, 17.2. He went to them, that is to the Jews at Thessalonica, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Um, Mash, you can go back to chapter eight. I'm I'm trying to lay some groundwork and then I want to make, I want to, I want to sort of press in on this a little bit because it's, um, I think it's important for us to understand um, that God uses his word, right? That's the, that's the testimony that's being made. What do the scriptures say about the Christ? And then Paul did, and in this passage, Philip did, they say Jesus is the Christ, right? So they unpack from the scriptures what would happen to the Messiah, that he would suffer, that he would die, and he would rise again. And then they say, and Jesus is him, right? Because because they're giving a testimony both about the biblical witness to the Messiah and Jesus fulfilling it. All right, let me show you an example in Acts chapter 8 where Philip joins up with the Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading from Isaiah 53. He asks Philip uh, in verse 34, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. All right, so, so that's, that's uh, Philip doing exactly what we saw Paul do in the synagogue on the Sabbath, right? The, the Old Testament scriptures were being opened up and that raised the question, to whom does this apply? About whom is this speaking? And Philip says, this is Jesus. Paul says, this is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is the fulfillment of these things. Now, now here's where I would say that the witness of the Spirit comes in. The only way someone is going to accept that testimony is if the Spirit of God opens their eyes to see that Jesus actually is the Messiah, right? The Spirit bears witness to who Jesus is in their heart. He opens the eyes of their understandings, to use the language of the Apostle Paul, so that they see the glory of God in the face of Christ, right? That's the process. So that means, and I'm going to draw out some, some implications of that, Right? That means that the primary focus of our testifying has to be about Jesus. It's actually not about us. 
right? We're not proclaiming ourselves. We're not testifying about ourselves. We're testing about, testifying about Jesus Christ. At, at, at any point where we enter into the equation, it is only to explain something about Jesus, not about us. Right? So I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be really careful. Right? I think it's legitimate to go, this is what I was like before I was saved, and this is what I'm like after I'm saved. But if it's all about you, no one's going to be saved. Because it's actually the gospel isn't about you. It's actually about Jesus. So between that, here's what I was like, and here's where I am, must be Jesus. Right? Because I'm not actually giving them a testimonial to buy the product on the basis of my life. I'm actually trying to get them to see Jesus because the Spirit is going to testify of Christ. Right? It's them seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ that brings the light of the gospel. My life is clearly a part of that because of what Jesus has done for me. But too much of what's happened in, in contemporary Christianity is to actually sort of put Jesus in the back and talk about, well, my life was all messed up before and now my life is wonderful. So listen, you know, I've got a good product to sell you. And, and, and you're sort of hiding the product in the back until you've sort of won them over to the sales pitch. And I think that, um, I think, I don't, I'm convinced that that's not what's happening in the book of Acts. I'm actually convinced there's no place in the Bible that would tell you to do that because any testimony about yourself is always described as the hope that you have. Right? It's actually about what God's done for you, what Christ provides for you. It's about Jesus. It's, it's a testimony about him, a witness of his saving grace. Now, the nature of that witness, though, is a personal affirmation of the truth. Right? If you were called to the witness stand in a courtroom about some, you know, some accident that you witnessed, you would be offering what is an expression of you're supposed to be confirming the truthfulness of something or uh, showing the falseness of it, depending on who's calling you to be a witness, right? If you're, if you're a witness for the prosecution or a witness for the defense, but the point is what you're going to say will either affirm the facts that are being made by one side or would refute the facts Right. And, and in the same way, uh, we step up as witnesses to affirm the truthfulness of the gospel. That we actually have come to believe this about Jesus too. Here's what the scriptures say about him. This is what we heard and we have found it to be true. Right. That, that in fact, the word of God is right about this and we are convinced and believe this. And that's why the witness can shift from uh, 
shift could give you the wrong idea. Why the witness of, of the, the 12 who walked with Jesus from the baptism of John until his ascension, right? They were giving witness, but then comes along Paul, who at least we don't have any evidence that he was there from the baptism of John until the ascension. And it could shift to Apollos, who definitely wasn't there. That he's reasoning from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ and declaring it and testifying about it. And to us today, who clearly weren't there when Jesus walked on the earth, but we have a, a written record of it, which we believe to be true, and we have accepted the testimony of this, and our acceptance of that testimony has resulted in its truthfulness being confirmed to us. It offered to us the forgiveness of sins, and we have experienced the forgiveness of sins. It's offered to us peace with God, and we have peace with God, right? It's offered to us a hope of eternal life. And we have now a hope of eternal life on the basis of what Christ did, testified to in the word of God and applied to our hearts by the grace of God's spirit. So, so we actually can offer our witness to the truthfulness of this. Because we actually have had God work in our lives through the gospel in that way. So we offer a testimony to that effect. And, and so we, we shouldn't hesitate on it, right? We shouldn't hesitate when we think about it and we work through it in that way. But I think also there's an element of, of testimony that I want to emphasize that is the testimony of believers to one another of God's work. Look at Acts chapter 14 for a moment. In Acts chapter 14 and 15 is an example of what I'm uh, trying to communicate. Uh, This is at the end of the first missionary journey. And uh, pick it up in verse 26 of Acts 14. And when they, that's Paul and Barnabas, when they had spoken the word in Perga and they went down to Atalia from there, verse 26 now, <laughs> from there they sailed to Antioch from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And, and this is a preacher's verse, verse 28. And they spent a long time with the disciples. All right, look down to verse 4 of chapter 15. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Drop down to verse 12 now. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating or reporting what signs and wonders God had done among, uh, done through them among the Gentiles. So, so here's the second element when I'm talking about testimony, sharing our testimony. Clearly, the first part of it would be sharing our testimony with those who don't know Christ. 
we're giving a witness to the truthfulness of the gospel. We're, we're sharing the fact that we have come to believe this message in the scriptures, which are fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth and what he has done for us through the good news. But there's also a part of believers testifying among other believers about what God is doing, right? Here's Paul showing up to give a report, a witness to the work of God in advancing the gospel. Or if I took the words of Psalm 66, uh, listen, all you who fear the Lord, and I will tell you what great things he's done for my soul, right? The pattern of of God's people is to openly testify and declare about the goodness and kindness of God toward us. So the one is a witness or testimony in which we're sharing the content of the gospel, right? Here's what the gospel is. We're sharing the impact of the gospel in our lives. I have received forgiveness of sins. I have been given peace with God. I have hope for eternity. I no longer fear death. I, I have been given uh, this grace from God that has proved a new life. So, so the content of the gospel and the impact of the gospel, we're sharing with people who don't know Christ. This is what God has done for my soul. This is what God did through Christ. But then among God's people, we're gladly sharing our testimony about what God's doing in our lives and through our lives for his glory. So we're speaking about the grace of God in, in doing that, the ramifications of the gospel for my life, that, that uh, we can live with peace versus anxiety, that we have a purpose for living versus thinking that the world's gone totally chaotic, that we actually have direction from God through his word, that we have hope in the midst of hopelessness. Those are things about which we can testify and we can share the good news. So these two, if I could put it this way, sort of two spheres in which we bear witness as God gives us opportunity are about God and what he's done through the gospel for us. And and I'm, I'm approaching it this way because I think I think sometimes we make testifying for Christ much more complicated than it really is, right? If you're here tonight and you're saved, you know enough to say to somebody how they could be saved, right? I mean, it'd be great if you learned some solid, theologically found, uh, uh, well-organized, gospel presentation, but you know how to be saved or else you wouldn't be saved, right? If I, if I just walked up to you tonight and said, who's Jesus? You should be able to answer that for me, right? If I said, what did Jesus do? You should, should be able to to tell me that, bear witness to that. Well, here, here's what Jesus did. What does Jesus offer to those who he promises to save? I mean, you, you could make a list. I mean, I could, I could just, so, so, so tell me three things Jesus does for the people that he saves. You could tell me that. 
If I asked you, so what does Jesus require in order to save somebody? I think you'd know that too. Repent and believe. Right? There's, there's, actually, there's actually nothing about that that is so complicated that even the simplest and youngest believer cannot communicate. What we sometimes do is actually lock up our brains and our mouths because we overcomplicate it. We start to think, okay, I need to, I need, here's my, you know, here's my entry point and here's the transition I need to have and I need to say this thing and I got to say this and I got to say it all the right way. Instead of simply just recognizing that, that it's, it's actually, and I think it's going to be more and more like this, the more and more secular our world becomes, is that we're going to be in the course of conversations, and all of a sudden something's going to come up in the conversation that is a window for us to simply make testimony to the truth of the gospel and the grace of God in Christ. Right? If you if you just took a uh, a simple kind of thought about what's in the, I mean, I just walk through it, right? I, I like to think like this. Who is he? What did he do? What does he offer? What does he demand? Right? If I just think in those four categories, you know the answers. I know the answers to that. Right? So any conversation I'm in that actually raises the question about who Jesus is, Or anything that raises the question about what he offers. There it is. See, but all of a sudden if I go, oh, I don't know. I mean, he actually raised what is, what is offered. And I didn't talk yet about who he is and what he did. And I don't know how to do this. Right. But it's, it's, it's actually pretty, it's pretty relaxing if you just go like, it's just like one big circle. <laughs> Right? If I start to talk about what he offers, then, then it's going to lead, hopefully, in the course of the conversation to why he can offer that. And that's what he did and who he is. Right? So I, I, I can actually take the pressure off myself and, and just start to think, I mean, I know who Jesus is. And, and I can tell someone who he is. I know what Jesus did, and, and I can just say what he did. Because here's the thing I think we've got to get, and this is why I raised the thing about the Spirit. It's not actually how smooth you are that's going to open the eyes of their understanding. It's actually going to be the Spirit's work. He's the one who's going to take the truth that you say, if it's the Scriptures, and he's going to ignite them on fire so that they burn in the soul. Right? So, so rather than me thinking all of the pressure is on me to get this perfect, I should actually be saying, Hey, I know, I know who Jesus is. Right? I know what he did. I know what he offers and I know what he asks of sinners. And all I need to do is share those. And, and obviously, it'd be great if you shared it in the exact words of Bible verses with the references. But here's what I'd say to you, and I, and I want to say this carefully. 
right? When you, when you read the evangelistic sermons in the book of Acts, right, they are actually paraphrasing Old Testament promises and they're not stopping and quoting. And that's Isaiah 53, verse 10. Right? They're just taking the word of God and passing it along because they're trusting the word of God to be living and active and powerful. So, so they just fill their conversation with the words of God. Right? I'm just going to fill up what I say with actually what he said because that's the thing that's going to bring life. That's the thing that's going to actually work in them. I mean, if you, I like my little four-way, but I mean, there's traditional ways of thinking about the gospel that sort of hang on pegs like God, man, sin, Christ, response. All right, so the so reason I raise it is because that one actually might give you more thoughts about where you could all of a sudden see a window, right? Because you think about how bad the world is. There's lots of people talking about sin in our day. Right? I mean, it's, it, it's just rampant. There's horrific things happening and people are appalled by it and going, what is wrong with the world? Boop. I know what's wrong with the world. Right? And, and I could just testify, you know, here's, here's the reality. I mean, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Right? And the only answer for sin is not not mankind's solutions. We really need to hear what God has to say, right? And I take that step in, and then I'll probably pretty much get to see where, where it opens up from there, right? They'll either shut it down or sort of not agreement because the reality of it is we're still among a lot of people who still have a category of sin. It's usually for people out there, Right, but it's it's still there, and those doors open up, and we are going to step in and say, not this, not this, uh, what I'd say, not this ham-handedly, right? But we're going to step up and say, here's my testimony about what God says on this, and I believe it because it's true. Right? We're, we're offering a testimony to the truthfulness of God on these issues and the, the grace of God in Christ to be the answer to those things. And so what we need to do is ask God to help us to get more and more comfortable just sharing our witness to the truth about Christ, our testimony of the truthfulness of this that we're affirming, we're practically going I'm going to tell the truth here, right? Or saying, I affirm, if you don't want to swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. But that's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm affirming that this is actually the truth. And a part of what we're supposed to do to exalt God and encourage one another is share testimony about what God's doing. Report the work of God in our lives. Report the work of God that's happening around us so that other people see what God is doing and God's exalted and encouraged in it, right? And that's, that's what a testimony is. And, and a healthy 
What, what I would suggest and why this is in a benchmarks kind of a series, right? The, these things are actually the overflow of our soul. They're not manufactured things. It's actually our soul is thrilled about the gospel. <laughs> we're amazed at Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're completely captured by the reality that, that God has provided these things for us in his son. And whenever we get squeezed, it just comes out. It's not hidden down deep somewhere. It's actually the overflow of a heart that loves Christ and loves what he's done for us. So we're ready to, to give testimony. Because just about anything in your life that you are captivated about, you talk about. Right? You're, 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 you're ready to share the good news about it. Right? That's, that's what we're talking about here. Is that we're, we're so thrilled with Jesus and the gospel that we're just ready to share what he's done for our soul, who he is. And, and the same thing is true here, that when, whenever God gives an opportunity there, the, the good news is sort of bubbling out of us. And when we have here an occasion to tell people about what God's doing, it's just flowing out of our lives. Boy, God taught me this truth or God answered this prayer or God's working in this way. That's because it's the overflow of what's happening in our lives. That's, that's, um, that's health spiritually. That's growing spiritually. That's a healthy congregation spiritually. Right? I mean, if, if a church where nobody is actually experiencing the grace of God, which is liberating their, their tongue to testify of his grace and his goodness, then, then, then there's some ill health there, right? So, so again, uh, I would, like I did with serving, being rooted in our love for Christ and Christ's love through us, I would say as well, starting to, to be committed to sharing our testimony to the gospel and testimony to God's goodness in our lives is a part of us being overwhelmed by it. So instead of, in, uh, in, we, we, we certainly can grow better at it, but instead of actually trying to become better at it, the first thing would be to become captivated by it. Right? Because once you actually are captured by something, then, then you start to speak freely of it. You try and force yourself to be a testimony to something that you're not truly enjoying the fullness of, that testimony is going to be pretty flat, right? Same thing over here. If you're sort of like, um, you know, you, you tell somebody from a distance what this is like, is different than it's actually in your experience, right? Uh, sometimes people can get captivated by things they've never experienced because they're just so jazzed up about it. 
But there's something different, for instance, about you know giving a lecture about the Grand Canyon versus having stood there and going, wow. Right? And then it's like, man, that was incredible. That's amazing. Right? So... So we're supposed to be stepping up to the Grand Canyon of God's glory and the gospel and his goodness to us. And then we're walking away and go, did you see that? Did you see that? Look at what God did. Look at the grace of God. Right? And it's just overflowing as we share the testimony of God's goodness. Let's pray together. Lord, please help us to... Never lose our love for you and the gospel and what you've done for our souls through Christ. Uh, Lord, it's, it's much easier to talk about this in, in uh, the calmness of a church gathering. A lot harder come Tuesday morning when someone is mocking the faith or uh, we know doesn't believe what we believe. But Lord, give us such a love for you that we're willing to speak on behalf of our Savior and and a love for you that we want to see others see your glory, to know the goodness that you have given to us in Christ, to enjoy the blessings of fellowship with you. And Lord, we, we pray that you might help us to learn uh, to, to, to have that overflow in such a way that it can be the regular pattern of our life in the daily interactions that we have, both with those who don't know you and those who do, that we are quick to point them to Jesus because Jesus is our Savior. We ask it in his name. Amen.